0: I need money. Even $20 would help. I just need enough money, just just enough for a little food and maybe some medicine. I, I really hate to ask, but I'm desperate. The gentleman was kind and sincere, and I wanted to help him. I looked him directly in the eyes, and I explained to him that we partner with a variety of agencies in Kansas City who were well-equipped to help him get right back on his feet. As a congregation, I explained how lavishly generous you are in providing thousands and thousands of dollars every year to the agencies, the social service groups, the homeless shelters here in Kansas City, that really do help people who are trapped in poverty. We were seated there on the sofa in the parlor, and I was carefully listening to his story. I assured him that I could pray for him, but that it was our policy that we did not give out cash. At that point, he lifted up his shirt, and he showed to me the fresh sutures in his gut, and I could see that he had just come from surgery, skin still oozing. I called the local hospital and they said, yes, he had been their patient and he had left against medical advice. And so I offered to escort him back to the hospital so that he could get the services he needed to heal. But he became frustrated and angry with me and he stormed out the front door of the church in a huff, walking away into the cold to I do not know where, muttering about how you really don't care. I felt powerless. Surely, as a Christian, as a pastor, as an employee of a church, surely I could do something. Jesus, after all, on almost every page of the gospel story, seems to be healing one kind of infirmity or another, be it blindness or leprosy or bleeding or demons. One scholar puts it this way, it isn't a miracle that Jesus performed a miracle here. Jesus was always performing miracles. In fact, they were accustomed in antiquity to people wondering about teaching and performing miracles. But you and I read the miracle stories and we're baffled. We live here in this scientific age where we know how healing happens. It happens through antibiotics and through chemotherapy. And so we wonder when we read these ancient stories, how did miracles happen in the bible if it was pure magic we could use a bit of that magic today couldn't we i mean if jesus could just speak and someone would be healed then we could use a few of those words today for instance Several of you have told me recently how concerned you are about the environmental crisis careening our way, about the unprecedented rise in the Earth's temperature and the catastrophic effects that we know will plague our grandchildren. What does the Christian faith have to offer in the way of a miracle called hope? We attend a funeral for a teenager who has taken her own life, and we hear at the funeral about how the teen suicide rate is rising in Kansas City, and we wonder if the good news of Jesus might bring a miracle that would reverse this horrific trend. Or we sit down for coffee with an elderly neighbor who cannot remember how to drive her car, and yet she suffers from chronic loneliness. How do those miracles of long ago enter into our world today. Sometimes we simply feel overwhelmed by the problems either in our own personal circles or in the larger community or on the international scale. It can feel so incredibly daunting. Sometimes we too need a miracle and yet we feel powerless or uncertain about what to do about it. In today's Bible story, the slave of a Roman centurion moves from the brink of death to being restored to good health. It's a different kind of healing story in many regards for, first of all, this Roman centurion is an outsider. A centurion, a commander of a hundred soldiers, is part of that systemic oppression of the Jewish people. He's both a political enemy and A religious outcast and yet it is this outsider that comes to seek the help of jesus the centurion is wise he knows that jesus is jewish and so he approaches his jewish friends who are elders in the jewish tradition you know the elders the ones who pray at the table right he goes to those friends of his who are active in the synagogue and he says Please go to Jesus on my behalf. And so those Jewish elders approach Jesus and they say, uh, We're asking for a friend here. He's a good guy. He even helped us build the synagogue. We can vouch for him, even though he's not one of us, even though he's an outsider. He loves us, he's our friend. Recently, I read an article in the Christian Century. It told about this trauma surgeon in Texas who was recently appointed as the vice chairman of the Republican Party in Tarrant County, which is the county where I grew up. Some of the folks in that county called for him to be removed from office because they did not believe that he could really be the vice chairman of the Republican Party in Tarrant County because he was Muslim and active in his mosque. And they didn't trust him. This same article reported that Democrats in Nebraska had experienced a similar kind of suspicion against a judicial appointee. At the judicial confirmation hearing, the appointee was questioned about his participation in a group called the Knights of Columbus, which is typically made up of men in the roman catholic tradition they wondered as they questioned him if he could separate out his catholic beliefs from his service to his country you see no matter what position we stand in we are often suspicious of those who are politically or religiously different from us and we begin to question one another's loyalty in today's bible story we read about a situation like that we're an outsider the Roman centurion is behaving like an insider. He loves our people, the Jewish elders say, so please, Jesus, go and heal his slave. Well, Jesus drops what he's doing, and he begins rushing to the home of the Roman centurion to heal his slave. But before Jesus arrives at the home, he is met on the road by another delegation of the centurion's friends. The friends deliver a message from the centurion. They say, Lord, don't come to my house. I'm not good enough to be in your presence. You're too holy. You just speak the word from a distance and it will happen. I'm a soldier and I know how the chain of command works. I speak and my soldiers jump. You speak and God's healing happens. Wow. Jesus stands back. Jesus is astounded. He's amazed. He turns and says, Well, not even in Israel have I ever seen faith like this. I don't think there's another moment in Scripture when we are told that Jesus is amazed by someone else's faith. Now, sometimes we're told that people are amazed by what Jesus says or does, And once in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is amazed because after all he has said and done, the people still don't get it, and he's absolutely amazed at that. But in this story, Jesus is amazed at this man's faith that he can heal in God's name. And this man is from the enemy group, the group that oppresses Jews, an outsider who everyone knows you cannot trust. It is he who has this enormous faith. Here's an odd part of the story jesus and the centurion and never meet never lay eyes on one another the entire story and jesus and the ill slave never meet in the entire story neither of the key characters in the story ever sees jesus and yet both of them have their lives forever changed by jesus's love and compassion And the other odd thing about this healing story is that we're never told how it is that the miracle happens. There's no moment like there is in other stories where Jesus reaches out and touches or has a conversation or prays over. Instead, all we get is this little throwaway line at the end of the story that says, Oh yeah, and they went back to the house and they found the man in good health. So, if we were to stage this scene from the Bible, we would have to put the centurion off stage, and we would have to put the slave off stage. And the only action that we would see is this large cast of characters running back and forth between Jesus and the centurion, between Jesus and the slave, scurrying about. You see, the action of the story unfolds primarily because of this larger community of faith. Yes, there is the faithful centurion, And he does initiate the action. And there is this Jesus, this character who has the power to heal. But in this story, without these friends scurrying about as the messengers and as the spokespersons running these errands, this healing miracle would not have happened. They speak out. They use their voice for the voiceless slave. They advocate for the centurion with the bad reputation. They speak up, they step out. They are, like, they are like that friend of yours who knows just when to ring your doorbell and bring you a casserole or offer to take you out for coffee or a beer. They are just like that family member you know who's always available to drive mom to the doctor when nobody else has the time. They are just like those knitters who come every Monday and knit hats for those babies born into poverty in our city. They are just like those volunteers in our congregation who, on a few hours' notice, jump up and go over to the Northeast and prepare homes for a refugee family arriving from Sudan or Somalia or wherever, and they go in, and they dust, and they clean the bathrooms, and they make the beds. They are just like church members like you who are so willing and ready to deliver shut-in communion to a church member who can no longer make it to church. In this story, the miracle depends on the supportive community who will do anything it could possibly think of to lift up those who long for God's liberating love and healing grace. Jesus is the healer, but Jesus heals here through the miracle of human community that offers to run in service of the good news. It is a group of people woven together in a holy web, those who push and advocate and serve and try and believe it is through them that the miracle happens. 30 years ago, there was a woman living in Columbus, Indiana, who was in her early 20s, had just graduated from college and had decided to move to Kansas City. A friend of her said, you know, when you move to Kansas City, there's a church you should visit. I've, I've been there. Now, you have to get past the name, but really, you should go to this church. Try it. Just check it out. I think you might like it. She did, and she made friends here, the kind of friends that you can share your deepest secrets with, the kind that you can call in the middle of the night, whether it's good news or bad. Then she went to law school. And she was seated next to a classmate one day who was also new in Kansas City and who was looking for a church. And she said, you should try my church. And he said, well, what church is that? And she told him, well, he didn't wanna try that church. He thought it might be too elitist. But she invited him and she was a friend. And so he tried it once and he stayed. And both of these families have been bold, visionary and strong leaders generously giving of their time and talents here in this congregation for over 20 years and both of them would tell you that this church has profoundly shaped their lives helping them to grow up empowering them to create deep family bonds faith that welcomes all and friendships that hold you through a lifetime how did that miracle happen it was because someone in Columbus Indiana said you should go to that church invited someone to church and it was because someone in a law school classroom invited someone else to church miracles happen because of us miracles are not magic they're what happens when we let God's love flow through us We have the power, but sometimes we don't recognize it. I'm very eager to see the Tony Award-winning play called Come From Away. It's now on Broadway. It's begun to tour. It will be in Kansas City in 2020. I was, it's a play that was inspired by what happened on 9-11 when 38 airplanes were diverted to Gander, Newfoundland. Suddenly this small town of 10,000 residents was welcoming 6,700 stranded passengers from almost 100 different countries. When the security manager of Ganders Airport saw the second plane hit the World Trade Center, he knew that his city was the closest airport to the traffic traveling between New York and Europe. And suddenly the planes began to land in droves. In an airport far too small, the runway was not heavy enough to hold up those 38 jumbo jets. The town was far too small. They only had 500 hotel rooms in the entire town. And the residents of Gander provided extraordinary hospitality to folks from all over the world. At one of the most frightening moments of history, they started making casseroles and taking them to the school, and serving the 750 people that were living in the school. All of a sudden, when folks couldn't get their luggage off the airplane because it was a security risk to give people their checked bags, and they realized that they didn't have their prescription meds that were in those bags, the town pharmacist began working and scurrying about and calling pharmacies in various countries trying to get the medicines brought in for them. Knowing that some folks, after being on an airplane for 36 hours, were going to need to step off that plane and get a smoke, some people ran and gathered up all the Nicorette gum and gander and took it to the passengers. And some residents of Gander took their unexpected guest out berry picking, and some took them moose hunting, And when folks were driving into Gander, if they saw someone walking down the street, they just pulled over and offered to give them a ride to wherever they might be going. They said it was the worst moment ever. But something wonderful was born out of it. The folks in Gander said, ah, we're not special. Folks anywhere would have done what we did. It's just what people do. Is it?